Glad to be together this morning. Uh, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption Church. I hope you got here dry. It just keeps raining. Some of you are okay with that. Some of us aren't, you know. It's all good. Praise God for that, right? Um, welcome to Redemption Church. Uh, God is good, even in the midst of it all. Uh, we are continuing our sermon series through the Gospel of John. If you are new or newer with us, uh, welcome. Glad to be uh, together. Um, I uh, serve alongside Pastor Pat and Pastor Josh, and uh, we are, um, it's always good to be amongst the family of God as we study verse by verse through this great book in the Gospel of John. And the sermon series that we've chosen is Behold the Christ. Behold the Christ, because we believe that the purpose of John's account is for us as its readers is to only look at one person, and that is Jesus, and not to miss Jesus. Now, you think that might be um, hard to do, but let me tell you, it can be easy to miss Jesus and all of the things that Jesus does and all the things that Jesus says, but we must always come back to the person of Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah, the promises of the Old Testament who find their yes, their sweet yes, in the face of Jesus, the Son of God who's come to earth. So behold the Christ. Along the journey, John wants to help us see this person. He's not just another man, not just a good prophet or an excellent teacher, but he is the Christ, and this morning's text is really no different. If you have your Bibles, um, go ahead and open them. Turn uh, with me to John chapter 8, which is where we will continue our time as we walk through uh, the, the end of the chapter, beginning in verse 48. Uh, the sermon title for this morning is Faith That Jesus Is Greater. I need to double check and make sure that the slide matches the sermon title. It does. We're in good shape. We're in good shape. Faith that Jesus is greater. And as we walk through uh, these uh, 10 or 11 verses, I want to consider three elements this morning. The first is the idea that Jesus is greater than death itself. The second is that Jesus' greatness comes from the Father. And third, that Jesus is greater than the great prophet and daddy of the Israelite nation who is Abraham. Jesus is greater than he. And then I want to look at these three points and I want to conclude our time this morning considering how these verses re require a response from you in the audience and me as the preacher. It requires a response and that response is faith. Faith that Jesus is greater, and how does that continue to empower us towards living for God's kingdom in the here, the now, and the forevermore? So with that being said, that is our roadmap for this morning. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open it to John chapter 8, beginning in verse 48, and then I'm going to encourage us to stand as we read the word of the Lord together. So let us stand and follow along as I read. starting in verse 48 of John chapter 8. Then Jesus answered him, excuse me, and the Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? 
Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself, and he went out of the temple. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. The Jews are getting desperate. We saw from our time earlier in John chapter 7 where the Jews just finished celebrating this uh, feast of tabernacles where they came together um, oftentimes at Jerusalem and uh, celebrated God's faithfulness in the past as they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, some you know, 1,200 years earlier. And in the midst of that feast, Jesus said some powerful things, didn't he? Some provocative things, quite frankly, where he stirred up controversy. And then we saw in chapter 8, the feast is now concluded. And in verse 1, Jesus, not to be deterred, continues to step into the context of teaching the people in the temple things concerning himself. He said things like, he's the light of the world. That true freedom is only found in Jesus. And for those that do not believe in Jesus and remain in Jesus, those people remain enslaved to their sin. Jesus continues to teach the Jews that hope of liberation, grounded in their familiar lineage to Abraham, is misplaced. And they prove that Abraham isn't their father. How do they do that? Because of what they do. Instead of following the things that Abraham did, whom they claim, they show that they are in league with a very different father altogether. We saw in verse 39 through 47 that Jesus is describing their father, whom is the devil, who was a murderer and a liar from the beginning. Jesus points out that the people's motives and the actions are in line with that father, not the father of Abraham. And in verse 47, Jesus concludes this, and he says, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And then here we are in verse 48 where we pick up this morning, and what is the people's response to that? All right, you must be demon-possessed. That's their response. That's crazy, right? 
Aren't we correct in saying, like first and foremost, you are a Samaritan and you are possessed by a demon. So, so, uh, we don't understand this fully, like so estranged, so odd, so peculiar, and so out of touch are Jesus' words, a fellow Jew speaking to a Jewish audience that they conclude, you must not be Jewish. You actually must be a Samaritan. They give some kind of uh, ethnic slight to who Jesus is as a Samaritan. You can look back in John chapter 4 for the history of Jews and Samaritans. We're not going to dive into that this morning. But what's more, not only in the eyes of these Jews is Jesus not a Jew, they actually levy a very similar accusation against Jesus that Jesus did to them. Yet it's tempered in their own context, right? Based in their own understanding and their own experience. You must have a demon to say the things that you say. Jesus, knowing the motives in the hearts of man, he doesn't respond to name calling. He just gets right to the point. He speaks directly to the idea of being possessed by a demon. The irony is so rich in John. It's rich here as well, where Jesus' response in verse 49 says, I don't have a demon. (laughs) Why can Jesus say that? It's because he's honoring the Father. Again, Jesus points to his actions, ones that honor the Father that sent him while standing amongst the accusers who claim to be the children of God all the while wanting to do what? Murder him. You see the irony? That is the dishonoring that Jesus addresses at the end of verse 49 in the text. And Jesus continues. I sa- he says, I don't need you to praise or honor me. I actually don't need that. I don't need the glory of other people, verse 50. However, be warned, there is one that seeks his glory. He demands it, and it's Jesus' father, and he's the judge. Therefore, verse 51 Jesus says this, truly, truly, or I tell you the solemn truth, if anyone obeys my teaching, he will never see death. Point number one for this morning, Jesus is greater than death. Here's what Jesus is saying. All of you, you don't see me for who I truly am. You don't honor me the way that you should honor me. Fine. But Jesus' standing is not contingent on what you or I think of him. Verse 50. Why does Jesus not need our praise and our honor to validate Jesus? Because he's confident in the Father who seeks his own glory, and God is the judge of those who do not honor him. This is the constant message in the Gospel of John. The Jews want to be a part of the family of God, they want to be with the Father. They want to belong to God, to be his people. They want to be accepted by God. They want to be at his table. They want to be in his presence, verse 51. And in so doing, they don't want to taste death. But they first must believe and have faith in the one whom God has sent, which is Jesus. Oh, what a perfect lesson our God has 
for us here over and over and over and over again, beginning in the Old Testament and moving on into the New Testament, that God would choose a people for his own possession, the Israelite nation, the Jews, to help them see their need for a Savior, pronounce untold blessings upon them, but they too, like us, must enter through the only gate, which is Jesus. There's no other way. You don't get to get to Jesus through your physical birthright. It doesn't matter what family you are born into. The people you hang around, the religious acts that you do do, or the sinful ones you don't, none of that matters. Here's the logical flow of thought that's being produced in the text. If you don't follow the teaching of Jesus, then you are under the heavy hand of death. Pretty straightforward. Now, why is that? You might ask. These couple verses give us the glorious uh, gospel message that God is seeking his honor and his glory. That he wants it. Think about that with me for a moment. God wants his glory. And he's going to get it. And we, just like the Jews in this text, don't want anything to do with honoring God. We don't want to yield to his rule and reign in our lives. Instead, we, like these Jews, are in outright rebellion to God, and yet we can, like the Jews here, be blinded by our own rebellion. Do you see the similarities? Don't be mistaken. All of humanity is rebelling, and God will judge that rebellion. And the results of those who are judged and found dishonoring the Son will remain under spiritual death and punishment. But praise be to God, right? Praise be to God that the Son has come. Praise be to God that the Son is greater than death, that through faith and belief, through a, a, a surrendered life that looks at the life, death, and glorious resurrection of King Jesus, you have the access to the promise the promise of life even in the midst of physical death. I couldn't help myself. I had to jump ahead into John chapter 11, verse 25. Many of us know this verse. Jesus' words, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, what? He shall live. Praise God. Do we believe that truth, church? Do we have faith that true Jesus truly is greater than death? The Jews in this text do not have faith in Jesus nor faith in that truth. Verse 52, their conclusion is like, now we know this guy really is demon-possessed. That's their response. Now why do they say that? Like now we really know this guy's like off his rocker. Because Abraham died. The prophets all died. How then can you say that those who keep your words will never taste death? How can you say that? That's like factually not true. What's more is like, who do you think you are? The greatest prophets are great daddy Abraham, they were great and they still died. Who are you? 
That's the resounding question, which is point number two for our time this morning, is that Jesus' greatness comes from the Father and only from the Father. Verse 54, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me. The Jews continue to think that Jesus has come into the world to exercise his power, his authority, his might for his own benefit. That's what they keep thinking. To make much of Jesus, that his authority, his power, his teaching are all meant to make great his name. But here's the kicker, right? Jesus doesn't need the glory. He doesn't need the acceptance. And he doesn't need the adoration of others. Meaning that Jesus' worth, oh this is sweet, is not contingent on what you or I think of him. His worth is actually not contingent on whether you believe him to be worthy. His worth is not contingent on what your neighbors think of Jesus. Your coworkers or your boss or your family members. Like Jesus doesn't need our defense. Think about this truth. Jesus doesn't need our defense as if it, we are unable to defend and prove his worth then he's somehow diminished. He doesn't need that. Like, praise God for that truth that we, like, that we should share. We should, church, we should share the gospel with people. We should try to reason with people and communicate the truths of the gospel, but do so in the glorious truth that God's greatness stands in untouchable, undefied perfection because it's given to him by whom? His daddy, not us. All of his worth church all of jesus's glory all of who jesus is is because he knows and he's been with the father verse 55 jesus is greater than death because he has been given the greatness from the father and what's more you want to compare Jesus to Abraham and all those other prophets. Point number three, as we move along in the text this morning, Jesus is greater than Abraham and all those other prophets. The stumbling block for the audience here is it's pretty straightforward. Here Jesus is proclaiming a teaching that is supposed to be better it's supposed to be greater. It's supposed to be grander so that it would result in those who believe and follow it never tasting death. But here's the tension. Abraham was the man that was given the great promises of God. Abraham was given those. Moses was the man that was given the great law of God. And any number of other prophets were given the words of God. And get this, they all died. Well, most of them. There actually is a couple that didn't. But here's the good truth of the matter. Jesus is the great promise of God. Jesus is the law of God. Jesus is the word of God. 
Verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day, and when he saw it, he was glad. That is mind-blowing to me. Think about what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that he met with Abraham. That somehow, in like some mysterious way, Abraham understood and believed that the promises that God gave him would lead straight into the day of Jesus. And not only did Abraham anticipate it with rejoicing, Abraham actually saw it. Now the Jews, they are like quick to pick up on this. Verse 57. You're not even 50 years old yet, Jesus. Like how could you possibly have met Abraham? Abraham lived about 2,000 years before Jesus was born. That's roughly the same amount of time between us and Jesus' day. That's a lot of history. How could Abraham possibly have met Jesus? Answer? Because Jesus is greater than Abraham, verse 58. I tell you the solemn truth. Before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. What is Jesus saying there? Jesus is grabbing hold of God's self-revealed name which he gave to his people back in the book of Exodus chapter 3. The people of God are enslaved to the Egyptians. God raises up a man named Moses to help lead his people and set his people free, and God calls Moses unto this task by drawing him up to a holy mountain, and God meets with Moses in a burning bush of fire crazy and tells Moses to go get his people go get them out Moses and Moses smart guy asks okay if I'm supposed to go do that who should I say has sent me good question right okay I'll I'll do this but like who has sent who's gonna who who do I say God is sending me and these are Jesus uh, these are the Lord's response In Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. I am. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. That's the name that God gives to Moses, the great I am. I am. It pronounces not only God's self-sustaining existence, which is true, oh praise God, it also communicates his eternal state of being, praise God, but it also communicates the manifestation of his presence to be with his people. 
And that is exactly what we saw as God leaves them out of slavery, isn't it? Not only a powerful, capable, full of strength and might, a God that's capable of doing that, that breaks the strong arm of the Egyptian pharaoh, but also one who draws near to his people through the establishment of the tabernacle where God dwelled with his people. And so when Jesus declares that he is the I am, Jesus is attaching himself to the most personal and revered name of God. That's what he's doing. See, notice Jesus could have simply said, before Abraham was, I was. He could have said that. Before Abraham was, I was. Which would have communicated Jesus' existence before Abraham, pointing to his eternal existence, which is true. But that would not have communicated Jesus' connection to the Father. And Jesus' tie to the Father must always be seen. Therefore, Jesus communicates that he is the I Am. telling everyone and anyone that would listen that he is greater than Abraham because Jesus is God. He is the I am, the eternal, powerful, self-sustaining, self-revealing, the one who has come into the world to bring his presence. And Jesus' audience, they know exactly what he says. Verse 59, they go pick up stones to throw at him. They picked up on what he was saying. Enraged by what they hear, believing it to be blasphemy, they pick up stones to put Jesus to death. Now somehow, be it practical, like they had to go find some stones, or supernatural, like Jesus hid himself, somehow Jesus eludes the attack, and the irony of John hits once more as the glory of God, his son Jesus, leaves the temple. Behold, This is Jesus, the Christ. The one who is greater than death, whose greatness comes from the Father and is greater than Abraham. These and many other truths are true of Jesus and they demand a response. The response that we're left left with this morning is not to consider quite frankly, if these things are true concerning Jesus. But instead, do we in faith agree that Jesus is great and greatly to be praised? For faith in Jesus, professing our need and our self-dependence on Jesus, stands in stark opposition of our natural state before God. We are not eager in the flesh, to to surrender and bow to the great I am. 
Instead, we desire to live out the words that Frank Sinatra once sang in the song, I did it my way. Are we not? The last words of that song go something like this. Listen to them. What is man? What has he got? If not himself, then he has not. To say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows and I did it my way. The response of faith is the only thing that separates followers of Jesus who though they die, they shall live and those who continue to live and want to do it their way and remain under God's judgment and, his, and their death. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never professed faith in Jesus. You are tired, maybe weary of the world's promises and all that it has to offer always coming up empty. Come to Jesus. Rest in his completed and perfect work for your sin before God, trusting in his promises which will never fail you. Maybe you're here this morning and you are like me, where you've professed faith in Jesus. One question of application as we close this morning. As individuals, think about this with me for a moment, who desire to live for God's kingdom here, now, and forevermore, how do we help one another in this life of faith? How do we help each other grow in our life and journey of faith? Personalize it with me for a moment. How would you answer that question? How would I help fill in the blank? Think of somebody's name. How would I help Bob? grow in their faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 defines faith this way. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. So faith is being sure of something we hope for but do not yet see. That is, in the simplest form, what the Christian life is, is it not? Being sure of Jesus, our hope, even though we do not yet see him. So how do we help one another grow in faith? How do we help someone that is struggling in their faith? Maybe we could take a look at Abraham's own example here in John chapter 8, verse 56. It says, For he rejoiced that he would see the day of Jesus. Notice the object of Abraham's faith. It's Jesus. We want to grow in our faith. We can't put the emphasis on our faith or even our effort If we desire to help others grow in this journey of faith, church, let us point them more and more to the object of our faith, which is the person of Jesus, the one who we are sure of. 
and it's Jesus, and it's only Jesus. Point them, give them Jesus. Help them, help me see Jesus as greater, greater than all the other joys in life, quite frankly. That Jesus is greater than the nuggets sweeping the heat in the NBA Finals. He's greater than that. Jesus is greater than like two weeks of sunshine without rain. Come on. Jesus is greater than that. Like Jesus is is greater than the brokenness in this world. Even when there's loved ones on their deathbed. That Jesus is is greater than suffering. He's he's greater and great even when you lose your job. That That he's great even in the midst of broken marriages. Because in him we have hope. And without him there is no hope. In a really really broken and dark world. Give them Jesus. Like let let Jesus stoke the fires of our faith, church. Like believing, trusting, like walking in the truth that Jesus is greater. Like you, you only need to fill in the second part of the sentence for yourself. Like Jesus is greater than, fill that in for yourself. Be it something that you are celebrating in life, he is greater. Be it something that, he, that is difficult in life, believing that Jesus is great, fill that in for yourself. And may we walk in faith this day, considering the object of our faith, which is Jesus, the one that is greater than death, whose greatness has come from the Father, and who is greater than Abraham. And oh, oh, get this, how we have just only begun to see his worth. And as we look at Jesus May we use, may he use that to strengthen our faith so that we might live for God's greater kingdom this day. That we would walk in faith this day. Lord God, please do it. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, you are You are great and greatly to be praised as the psalm says. And I am grateful, Lord Jesus, that it is not dependent upon the strength of my faith, but on the object of my faith, which is Jesus. Think of Paul's Words, Lord God, help my unbelief. Lord God, that we would be people that want to fan one another into flame 
as we point towards Jesus. Lord God, may we be celebrating in life. May we be mourning in life. Lord God, may we give each other the cool salve of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that we might walk down this difficult and long road of life anchored in to the object of our faith, which is Jesus. Lord God, be made great in this church because you are great. We love you. And in your matchless name, King Jesus, we pray. Amen.